It is really good to be back this morning. Um, many of you uh, may know, and some of you probably do not, that uh, I missed last week uh, due to my father passing away a week ago this past Thursday. And uh, I just want to say a, a public word of thank you to all of you uh, for the incredible support that you've shown us uh, through email and through Facebook message, through phone calls and cards coming in and uh, gifts. And uh, I also just especially want to say uh, thank you to the whole church uh, for the flower arrangement that you sent that was there at the funeral. Uh, it was just really good to know that while my family was there uh, honoring our dad and the life that he lived, uh, that you all were in some way with us as well. And that flower arrangement just spoke volumes to us. So thank you so much for that. Um, I want to let you know that uh, what we have set up for my dad, just to give you guys an opportunity to give, uh, we as a church belong to the Church of the Nazarene denomination. And uh, our denomination has seven, seven liberal arts colleges uh, all over the United States. And we have colleges actually all over the world, but seven here in the States, uh, of which I am a graduate, my wife is a graduate. And uh, it's just, it's a really, um, it's a heritage in my family. That's where my parents met. All three of uh, us boys attended uh, a Nazarene school, and we actually all attended Mid-America Nazarene University, which is in the Kansas City area. And so we decided for my, for my father's memorial to set up a uh, scholarship fund for anyone interested in uh, music or church music or, or worship leading or whatever they're calling it these days. Um, Anyone, any student looking to go to Mid-America Nazarene University uh, with a church, church music emphasis or major, uh, we are hoping to set up a, a scholarship fund in my dad's name. And so uh, we need a, a, a sizable amount of money to get that done. And so I would just invite you guys, uh, if you would want to help us do that and uh, give to the memorial for my dad, we would sure appreciate it. And uh, I just wanted to let you know of that opportunity. If you do that today, uh, you can actually just write the check out to Emmaus Road. Just make sure that in the memo it says, you know, Pastor's Dad or Memorial Fund, something like that. And uh, we'll get that to the right place. So uh, thank you so much for uh, all the ways that you have shown us support in this difficult time for our family. You know, it's... um. It's funny how the Lord uh, works things out and works messages out. And uh, there are often times where I am more convinced that the sermon is, is for me more than it is for you all. Um, but uh, I, I was planning this message on the peace of God. And I had finished it, polished it, uh, got it all nice and wrapped up pretty to, to give to you on Sunday. Uh, a week ago this past Wednesday and was planning to give it last Sunday. Uh, the, the, it was that day, that morning, that I was working on this sermon that I first got the word that my dad's condition was uh, declining very rapidly. And I called my brother and I said, who was who also a, a pastor and a preacher, and I said, you know, isn't it funny when the Lord just does this? Uh, here, our dad is very, very sick, and uh, I'm supposed to preach on the, on the peace of God uh, on Sunday. And he said, oh, that's normal. The Lord does that to me all the time. And uh, I said, you know, I, I, agree, I agreed with him. And uh, so I had just finished this sermon a week ago, uh, this past Wednesday. And that's when I got the call uh, about my dad's condition declining. Uh, after I had finished the message, by the end of Wednesday, it was Thursday morning uh, at 6.30 a.m. that I got the call that, his, uh, that, that overnight it had gotten much, much worse. And they were calling the family in 
So I got the call at 6.30. I was out the door by 7.30. And uh, about half an hour before I arrived in Garden City, I got the call that my dad had passed away. And all this time I have this message about the peace of God that transcends all understanding in, in my heart. And I'm like, Lord, <laughs> what are you trying to do? Um, so the next four days were crazy with, with funeral plans. And uh, the, the morning of the funeral, our pa- the pastor that we had called in, uh, it was my dad's previous pastor, that we had called him to, to participate with the local pastor in the funeral. The morning of, uh, we get a call that says the pastor can't make it because he's sick. And so this is the morning of the funeral, and the funeral is at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And so the three brothers, because the pastor can't make it, sit down to write uh, a combined eulogy slash message for our dad the morning of the funeral. And uh, you want to talk about chaos, confusion, craziness, and the peace of God, right? And so, um, so the last day we were there, though, I mean, we, we went through the funeral. Uh, you know, I don't want to brag, but the three brothers knocked it out of the park and uh, gave a, a, a very honoring eulogy that, that pointed uh, to my dad's life as a way of pointing to Christ. That was our commitment the whole time, is we don't want, we don't want the praise and the honor to end with our dad. We want my dad to, to be a pointer to the praise and honor that God deserves. And uh, so we did that. We decided to stay an extra day. And that day, Jaden's eye, Jaden is our three-year-old daughter, her eye started matting over. And um, so we found out that Jaden had pink eye. And then when we got home, I had like the worst sore throat that I've ever had. I thought it was strep throat. And Amy had a head cold and our, uh, and our newborn had a runny nose. And so we're like, where's the peace of God? <laughs> you know, like when it rains, it pours. I mean, it was absolutely crazy. And so then yesterday, I just want to, I just want to give you a sense of how God works and brings these messages about and, and tell you a little bit about my life. Yesterday, um, I went to use my computer for something and I realized that I couldn't find it. So we had, I'd just gotten the call about my dad and then we, then he passed away. We did the funeral thing. My whole family's sick. I need to use my computer, and I just can't find it. And for those of you know, that know me, you know that I'm a total Mac head, and I just don't lose my computer. Like, it's practically attached to me, right? I mean, and so, and so I'm like, I don't just lose my computer. I'm looking for it for an hour. I'm searching under every bed, under every couch, under every, in every toy box, thinking Jaden maybe did something with it. And I realized that when we had gone on a walk as a family Friday night, we had left the back door unlocked, and I was just convinced that my computer had been stolen. And uh, so we called the insurance company, you know, found out our deductible. Uh, then I decided I'd give one last-ditch effort to finding the computer. I couldn't find it. I went to Best Buy. Because the whole time I'm thinking, my sermon on peace is on that computer. <laughs> so, Lord, you've got to do something right now. Like, you, you've, got to, you've got to write a new message up in here, or you've got to do something, right? And so, so this is going through my mind the whole time. I go to Best Buy, and uh, my fear and trepidation turned to joy and excitement when they pulled out the brand-new MacBook Pro off the shelf. And all of a sudden, I'm like, this maybe isn't so bad. Um, and, and so then I'm, I'm, I'm buying it, you know, and I'm ready to sign my name on the receipt. And Amy calls and says, I found your computer. And I said, well, where was it? 
And it was a, um, it was a present under the tree, which means our three-year-old had wrapped it in a burp cloth and put it under a table. <laughs> awesome, right? So today I want to talk to you about peace and the peace of God in the midst of chaos. And I believe that God has a great word for us today. Uh, can I pray for us before we begin? We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, uh, but let me say a word of prayer. Uh, God, you are good. And we thank you for the time of worship that we enjoyed and just the way that we felt your presence in such a powerful way, uh, that you are here among us, you have a word that you want to share with us. And uh, God, I know that my life has been total chaos in the last 12 days. Uh, But your peace transcends all understanding. And so God, I pray that for those today that are in the midst of just absolute chaos and confusion, I pray, God, that you would give us a strong word, that you would lift us up, that you would encourage us, and that we would, in fact, experience your peace this morning. God, be with us. Help me to preach well. And uh, I pray that you would translate my words into exactly what each of these folks need to hear today. So, God, we love you. We give you praise and honor, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. At the end of Philippians, the the Apostle Paul, who is the author of Philippians, gives what seems to be some staccato uh, instructions for us, commands of what he wants us to do. And uh, I want to read these to you, and the argument that I want to make today is that these are not so disconnected. These are not so uh, sort of independent as they might seem. And so I'm going to read Philippians chapter 4. I want to read verses 4 through 13. Uh, we're going to focus in on just the first couple of verses, but I wanted to read past that to give us a little bit of context. So Philippians chapter 4, starting with verse 4, reading through 13, says this. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that you were renewed, that you were. at last, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I have learned. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to be having have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. For I can do all things through Christ. Who gives me strength? And the truth is, is that I was telling, as I was telling a little bit of my story about how the last 12 days for me have just been a slippery slope of chaos and confusion, I would imagine that, that someone within the earshot of my voice is, is experiencing that very same thing. I mean, let's just be honest for a moment. Life 
can be stressful. Life can be stressful, whether it's job changes, whether it's relationship issues, whether it's big decisions that need to be made, whether it's medical issues and that news that you got from the doctor. Some of you, let's just be honest, your boss is crazy and it makes you stressed out. Whether it's financial stress or family stress, life can be stressful. And in the midst of all of this, what we need so desperately is peace. This peace of God that scripture talks about transcends all understanding. You know, peace is is a biblical idea. It's not just this one thing here that we're pulling out and saying, oh, there you have it. God is a God of peace. Peace works its way through all of scripture. In Psalm 37, it says, the scripture tells us to seek peace. In Psalm 85, the scripture tells us that God promises peace. In Proverbs 12, uh, promoting peace will lead to joy, we're told. In the Gospels, Jesus often says, go in peace after having healed someone. He, he, he performs a miracle in their life, he gives them miraculous healing, and then he gives them these instructions. Go in peace. Je- Jesus is also recorded very often in the Gospels as saying, peace be with you. And then we come to Paul in the New Testament in all of his letters. We have may the peace of God, uh, we have peace with God through Christ, Romans 5. We have the God of hope fills us with joy and peace, Romans 15. And then peace is a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. What we have to understand is that this idea of peace in the midst of chaos is a biblical idea. It's a scriptural idea. But immediately the question that I ask is, what in the world is peace? As you and I walk through the craziness of life and the stress, what does peace actually look like? How do I know if I have it? Is peace just the absence of conflict? Like peace in the Middle East? Can peace be reduced to a greeting? Peace. Or is it something more profound? As I think I think the scripture and and Paul in this passage is getting us toward, he's wanting to move us toward that peace is this, this something, this presence, this assurance, this confidence that gives us a calm in the midst of chaos. And yet, I don't know about you, but uh, it seems to me that peace seems to be just out of reach for many of us. Uh, and if, you, if, if you're a Christian and you've ever talked to a, a person who is not yet a believer in, in, in Jesus Christ and you've, you've talked to them about how your, your life is just coming unraveled and yet you feel this peace of God, they might look at you like you're absolutely crazy. And they'll be like, peace in the midst of that? What are you talking about? I remember coming just out of seminary and I was interviewing at some different churches and, and at the time this church was, was very, very small and uh, it, was, it was the lowest pay and all of these kinds of things. Like on paper, it just didn't make much sense for us to come here. We had interviewed at bigger churches, more pay, all of these kinds of things and, and yet when we sat at the Starbucks that used to be, Lord help us, that used to be at College and Laurel. Does anybody miss the College and Laurel Starbucks? Can I hear an amen? All right, so we were sitting at Starbucks at the corner of, corner of College and Laurel, and we had this peace that filled us, that this is where God wants us to be. And so we went to our friends, and they said, you know, where are you going? And we're going, we're going to Fort Collins. And, and uh, they'd say, well, what's the church like? Well, it's very, very small. What's the pay? Uh, you know, peanuts and bread. And uh, 
And they'd say, well, where else have you interviewed? Well, we interviewed over here, and I could have been a staff member over there at this big church and, and uh, all this stuff. Well, why are you going there? We just have a piece about it. You're crazy. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. So, so, so peace can seem a little crazy if we're talking to people who aren't yet people, people of faith. But, but let's just be honest. Even if we're talking among Christians, sometimes as a Christian, we, we hear other people, other Christians talk about the peace that they have. And, and, and are, can we be honest? Sometimes, if you're anything like me, you might say, why do they have this incredible sense of peace? But I don't seem to have it. And so I, I, would, I would wonder if, if, if peace is something that, that seems to always be just, just out of reach, always eluding us. But still, Paul says that in relationship with Jesus Christ, we have available to us a peace that passes all understanding. A peace that passes all understanding. And so what I want to argue again today is I've already said that these instructions that seem rather disjointed, they seem to be kind of coming at us from from all different directions here at the the end of the letter. It seems as though Paul is ending his his letter to the church in Philippi, and he's just trying to get out anything that maybe he didn't have a chance to cover before, okay? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. The Lord is near. And, oh, by the way, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, offer everything to the God, and the God of peace will transcend, you know, the hearts and understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And he's just kind of like throwing all uh, all this out. And, And what I want to argue today is that these really aren't disjointed. Because what Paul says is first rejoice... Second, do not be anxious, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God will transcend all understanding. It seems to me that what Paul is trying to tell us is that peace is is the outcome or the overflow of a heart that is properly rejoicing and properly praying with thanksgiving. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to walk us through how peace is can be the, uh, the, the outcome of a heart that rejoices. So Paul, he starts by saying, rejoice in the Lord always. And then he wants us to get it. So he says, again, I say it, rejoice. Now the word rejoice here is, is um, really talking about a public celebration. So Paul does not have in mind a, a sort of privatized rejoicing. Now should we rejoice in private? Absolutely. But what Paul wants to do is he wants to, to say not only should we rejoice in our, in our private life, in our individual life, in our, in our, sort of, in our, um, in our secret life to, by ourselves, but he wants us to bust that rejoicing wide open so that we're, we're rejoicing also in public. We're rejoicing in community, right? Part of the reason that we ask you to send your story to our little email, mystoryattheroadfc.org, is so that we can publicly rejoice with you of what God is doing in your life. It is not, it is not good to keep this rejoicing to ourselves. And so the word rejoice here actually means this public celebration. Let's publicly celebrate who God is. Let's publicly celebrate what God has done in our community, in your life, in my life. And let's do it together. A public celebration of who God is and what he's done. And, and, and so, and I think what he wants to say to us and why he's emphasizing this again, it would be one thing for us to just say, oh, rejoice in the Lord always. And then we would say, man, always for real? 
Like always, always, or do I, can, I, can I get out of it when life is chaotic and when I'm filled with confusion and when my life seems to be unraveling? Can I get, can I get out of it then? And Paul would say to us, no, rejoice in the Lord always. And then he puts another stamp on it. Again, I will say rejoice. And essentially what he's saying to us is that regardless of your circumstances, God is worthy to be praised. Amen? It doesn't matter what what all the outside evidence is doing. It doesn't matter what situation you're in. It doesn't matter what circumstance you find yourself in. Just because your circumstances have changed does not mean that God has changed. And so if we can sit in that reality, Paul says we ought to be rejoicing always. In other words, Paul wants us to develop a praise habit. A habit of praise. You know, Philippians is widely regarded as the book of joy. If you, if, you would, if you would do this this afternoon or this week, if you would read through the book of Philippians, it's short, and circle every time you, you see the word joy, you would have circles all over your Bible. This is a book of joy and rejoicing. And yet Paul wrote it from a prison cell. And so when Paul says rejoice in the Lord always, he's not sitting on a beach sipping a pina colada and and, and saying it quite easily. Oh, to all of you who are suffering and find yourself in a difficult spot, rejoice in the Lord always while while I'm chilling and relaxing. It's easy for me to rejoice. But he's writing it in a prison cell, talking about the joy that he has in Christ, the reason for rejoicing. And he's talking about how regardless of the circumstances that he finds himself in, he has learned whether, he's in, whether he has plenty or whether he's in want, whether he's hungry, whether he's well-fed. He's learned to be content in all of these circumstances because my rejoicing is not dependent upon my, what's happening in my life. Now, a lot of my sermon today is going to be framed around the loss of my dad. But as I walked into that, I was able to to see dad on his deathbed before they took him out of the hospital. And and embracing that moment is a very difficult thing. I've lost a dad. I've lost a friend. I've lost a leader. I've lost the person that I call when I don't know what to do with my project because he's a handyman and he just knows everything. I've lost a lot. In that situation, though, there was so much cause for rejoicing that my dad had now fully entered into all the fullness of the presence of God, that death and pain and illness and suffering had had its last word in his life. And so together as as a family, the family, not all the family had yet arrived, but whoever was there, together we rejoiced for a life well lived and the end of death for my dad in pain and suffering. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. We all have reason to rejoice. 
In the Psalms, David often begins the psalm in despair, describing the circumstances around him, right? Just read through some of the Psalms, and it won't be long before you'll come across one that is structured with David saying, all of these circumstances around me have led me to a place of despair. My enemies are after me. I've lost all of these things. Again, just really descriptive language of all the things that he's been going to. But regularly in the psalm, he returns to a rejoicing in God who is faithful to bring him through the trial. And I think what a great example of what Paul is is teaching us here, that if we can learn to rejoice in the Lord always, if we can develop a praise habit in our life, what a difference would that make in our life if we could look at our circumstances straight in the eye and still have a heart that rejoices. But so oftentimes we attach the, our circum, our the, we attach the character of God to the quality of our circumstances. And I'm here to tell you today that that is a that 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 mistake will kill your faith. We cannot attach the character of God to the quality of our circumstance. But rather we must stand in the midst of whatever circumstance we have and rest in the sovereignty and the goodness and the unchanging nature of the God that we serve who can bring us through the difficult circumstance and rejoice in the midst of it. Are you with me now? I should should preach every other week because I'm preaching pretty good right now. So I I should just develop that. Okay, so rejoice in the Lord always and then pray with thanksgiving. Pray with thanksgiving. Paul wants to say to us that the attitude of our prayer should be one of thanks. Should be one of thanks. You know, I th- what I see in my own prayer life and in the, life, in the prayer life of others, uh, I think one of the most common mistakes that we make is we treat God like a cosmic Santa Claus in our prayer. And we, we come to God and we say, we know that God is able to give us what we need. He's sufficient to meet our need and our want. And so we, we go to God, seeing him as a cosmic Santa Claus, and we say, God, here's a list of all the things that I need slash want. I feel like I've been pretty good, and so I don't think I'm on the naughty list, and so please do these things on, on my behalf. And uh, that attitude of prayer does not come into the throne room of the God of the universe with a heart of thanksgiving, but rather with a heart of entitlement. I've been good. I've said my prayers. I've gone to church. Uh, I even serve in the church. I help any kids or I, I do all of these things. And so God, would you, would you give this to me because I'm entitled to it? And, and I think what Paul is trying to tell us here is that our prayer attitude should not be a uh, an attitude, attitude of entitlement to a cosmic Santa Claus, but an attitude of thanks before the God of the universe for what he's already done and for what he is currently doing. And, and, and what the, these two are, are intimately connected. Again, they come at us sort of staccato. They come at us really disjointed, but they're intimately connected because if we develop a praise habit, if we, if we develop this, this heart of rejoicing, that will then bleed itself into our prayers where we rejoice and then offer thanks to God for all that he's done that we have reason to rejoice. 
And so Paul wants to say, your attitude of prayer ought to be one of thanksgiving. So Paul instructs us to come to prayer with an attitude of thanksgiving, thanking God for what he's already done, for what he's currently doing. Regardless of the outside circumstance, regardless of the evidence out there, I can have cause to rejoice, and therefore in my prayer before God, I can also thank him. And then also for what he's going to do. But what happens a lot of times is is we have this attitude of rejoicing, Lord, thank you, you are so good. And then when we go to prayer, you say, dear Lord, my life sucks right now. And Paul wants us to connect our public life of rejoicing and our prayer life so that we rejoice him in public for all the things that he's done. And then we also let that inform our prayers that God, you are good. And I'm gonna bring everything, every petition that I have to you but I'm going to frame it with thanksgiving. And that should, that should tell us one thing. The primary point I want to, two things. The primary point I want to make is our attitude of prayer ought to be thanksgiving. But the other thing is that God cares about the details of your life. In every situation, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. This is very cliche. You've probably heard it before. I've heard it a million times, but it's true. If it's important to you, it's important to God. And so don't make the mistake of saying, oh, I'm not going to bring that before God because that's not that big of a deal. Because the, the beauty of the, the huge creator, cosmic God that we serve is that he's also intimate and personal and our friend. He's the king and our friend at the same time. He's a king who invites us into the courtroom. And he loves us deeply. And so in everything by prayer and petition. And then what Paul says, and then the peace of God will transcend your, that transcends understanding will guard your hearts and mind in Jesus Christ. And so peace is laid out as the result of rejoicing and praying with thanksgiving. In other words, peace is not indifference. Do you hear me? A lot of times peace is misunderstood as indifference. That if I've somehow been given peace about this situation, that all of a sudden I've become indifferent about it. That I've sort of, I've lost any care or concern about the situation. That, friends, is not peace. Peace is not equal to indifference. To say that you are at peace is not the same as saying, I don't care. Don't misunderstand that. But peace is rather your soul. And when I say soul, I mean the deepest part of you. Peace is your soul at rest. Or let me say it another way. Peace is a confident trust in God. Do you see the progression? If I develop a praise habit and I'm rejoicing and I allow that to inform my prayer so that I'm praying with thanksgiving, then what that builds inside of me and what that results in my life is a peace or a confident trust in who God is. I've already spent time rejoicing in, in rejoicing because of who God is and what he's done. I've already spent time bringing all my requests and petitions before God, but framed with in thankfulness for who he is and what he's done so that the result in my heart is this peace 
or this confident trust in who God is that regardless of the outside circumstances, regardless of, of, of family passing away, then your family getting sick and then losing a computer, peace is still available to you because of who God is. It's the result that if we will rejoice and pray with thanksgiving, then we are then the overflow of our in our heart is a confident trust in who God is and his ability to meet our truest need. His ability to meet our truest need. Sometimes we get a need and a want mixed up. And we get mad at God because we've mixed up what we really need and what we really want. And so God didn't give us what we want, and we may get angry at him, but God is always aware of our truest need. And if we can frame those properly, then a confident trust in God and peace will rule in our hearts. To which the outside world will look, to to which someone who is not a believer in Christ will look at you and say, how in the world can the deepest part of you be at rest in the midst of this situation? And if they were to ever ask that question explicitly, that's a great opportunity for you to share the hope of Jesus. So Paul walks us through this progression. And I've looked at it very, from a very positive perspective. What I want to do now is, is, is to, if you're here this morning and you say, this, this peace just seems to be always just out of reach. I want to look at this more from not the negative perspective, but just from the opposite side and begin to address things that if you have a peace problem, how might we begin to discover how you can gain some peace in your life? And because of this progression, I would, I would argue with you and just ask, well, not argue with you, but I would ask you to be discerning. That if you, if you find that peace is just always out of reach for you, if you look at other followers of Christ and you say there's a peace that they seem to have that I've never been able to grasp, how do I get that? Then, then I, want to, I want you to be discerning today that if you have a peace problem, there's a possibility that you may have a rejoicing problem. Because, our, our, again, as I said earlier, our tendency is to attach God's character to the quality of our circumstance. That, that God's character is sort of the sum of all my experience. And so if I've had a difficult life, if I've had a difficult week, if I've had a difficult month, then, oh, God must not be good. And so that we sort of attach God's character and make his character the sum of our circumstances. And what I would argue you, what I would encourage you to do today is turn to the scriptures that talk about God who is good. God who is sovereign even in the midst of difficult circumstances. God has not promised to keep you from the fire. God has promised to walk you through the fire. And if we can just raise up our perspective above our circumstances, then we also might be able to address our rejoicing problem. And so the, so the better way, rather than attaching God's character to the quality of my circumstance, the better way and the true way is to place my circumstance in perspective of the unchanging God. Realize that my circumstances are always going to change. Sorry. That my circumstances are always going to change. There's always going to be an ebb and a flow to life. But the, the, the solid ground in my life is the unchanging love, mercy, and character of God. And he's offering, us, he's offering all of those things to us in love so that we might be able to experience his peace. And so we, we've got to raise our perspective above our circumstances. 
Peace doesn't find its source in our circumstances, but in our God. Peace is not given when we keep our focus. Peace is given when we keep our focus on the unchanging God in the midst of ever-changing circumstances. And so I would would encourage you today that if, if, if you have a peace problem, be discerning as to whether the, the reason that you have that may be because you have a rejoicing problem. And what you need to do is to begin to develop a praise habit, to raise your eyes and your perspective above your circumstances so that you can see the unchanging God who loves you. I hope that's an encouragement for some of you today that may be going through very difficult circumstances. There's, there's a possibility that some of you look at the chaos of my life in the last 12 days and you say, I wish I had your life. I wish my biggest problem was a lost MacBook Pro. Right? Some of you may say that. But the principle is exactly the same. To raise our eyes above our perspective. Or above, raise our perspective above our circumstances so that we can see the unchanging God who loves you. Develop a praise habit. Now the other piece of that is if you have a peace problem, I would encourage you to be discerning you may have a prayer problem. That your prayers have become a grocery list to the cosmic Santa Claus. And that you're not praying with thanksgiving. And... Uh, <clears throat> to, to illustrate this point of, of how we might adjust our prayers, I just simply want to tell you a story about my family life. Uh, Jaden is three, and we've been trying to teach her for a long time how to pray and, and teaching her that she can pray anytime, anywhere. And we have our, our bedtime prayers, and we do, you know, we have this whole routine that we're trying to build into her to learn how to pray. And when we were first teaching her how to pray, we, we, we taught her to pray with thanksgiving. In other words, we didn't co- go to her and say, what would you like from God? We, we taught her to pray by thinking about what is she thankful that God has given to her. And we just felt like that was a great place to start for a little child just to look around at her, the, her environment and say, what are the things or the people that I'm thankful for? And, and realize that the source of those is God and, and just be able to offer praise up to him. And so we, we began teaching Jaden to pray by teaching her just to thank God for the blessings in her life. And, and now, though, we've, we've tried to move beyond that, and we've tried to say, uh, you can also uh, present your request to God. And, and that if there's anything that you feel like you need, uh, or, or that you can, you can ask God to help you with those things. Like, for example, if you're scared of the dark, or you're, you had a bad dream, you might be able to ask God to to help you focus on positive thoughts or ask God to give you courage from the dark. All of these things that, that it's, not, it's not just praise and thanksgiving, but there's also a side of prayer where you can present your request to God. And, and so, uh, you know, one, one of the big ones for a three-year-old is asking God to heal the owies, man. She's like way big on the owies. She shows them off like trophies of honor, you know. I got an owie, you know, where... Right there. I don't see it. It's there. You know, like just really big on the owies. And so ask God to heal your owie. But something very curious happened while we were teaching her all these things about prayer. She brings her request to God. But she always frames it with thanksgiving. In other words, when we asked her to present her requests and the things that she needs, she never lost 
the things that I'm thankful for. So her prayers will sound something like this. God, thank you so much for the warm house that you've given us. Thank you so much for my friends and for my mommy and daddy. And then my, my dad is Papa. Thank you so much for Papa to feel better. Thank you, thank you so much for me to have courage. And that's bad English, but that's great theology. And I think that's what Paul wants us to grab a hold of here. Is that if we can pray with thanksgiving in anticipation of what God is going to do. If we could thank God not only for what he's done, but for what he's doing and for what he's going to do. If we could pray rather than just a grocery list of things we need. And God, I've been good, so please, I'm entitled to them. If we could come to God sort of humbly but with thanks, but with thanksgiving, but also with expectation. God, thank you that you're going to help me to get through this situation. God, thank you for the job you're going to provide. God, thank you that you're going to be able to help me through this mess. God, thank you that I'm going to get out of the midst of this chaos, that I'm going to come to the other side of it with a stronger faith. Church, if we could learn to pray with thanksgiving, our lives would be transformed. And what happens is that if we will rejoice and develop a praise habit, and if we will pray with thanksgiving, then the overflow of that is that this this confident trust in who God is, that no matter what I face, He's got it under control, that no matter how, how what I face or how out of control my life gets, God is still going to bring me through it. And what happens is we come out of these circumstances in our life with a stronger faith, Rather than a destroyed faith. How can you have peace in the midst of that? I've decided to set my heart on a praise habit. And and pray with thanksgiving for who God is. For what he's done. And for what I'm confident he's going to do. And church, the overflow of that. Is that in the midst of the chaos. In the midst of the confusion. In the midst of of the deepest valley you maybe have ever been through, your soul, the deepest part of you, is at rest. And you move through this with a strong faith because of the great confidence that you have in God. That's what Paul is teaching us here in this passage. And then, and then there's this little thing that, um, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, this peace is also doing something. Paul says it's guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, guarding your heart is a very sort of abstract idea. Uh, when I was a teenager, uh, um, Joshua Harris's book, uh, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, had just come out. And so guarding your heart meant don't date. Uh, you know, like, I'm guarding my heart, I've kissed dating, goodbye. You know, and that's like, that's all we could grasp or get a hold of. And um, I, I thought about this, and I, I, I really felt like that what the Lord wanted me to tell you today is that what Paul is talking about in guarding our hearts is that the peace that is given as a result of the rejoicing and prayer with thanksgiving is guarding us against the other potential outcomes 
that if we weren't to rejoice, if we weren't to pray with thanksgiving, what might happen in those situations where if peace is present, then it's there guarding us against those things. And there's a million possibilities, but some of the things that I came up with is that if we didn't rejoice, if we didn't pray with thanksgiving, then the outcome would be cynicism. That we would just turn cynical toward God, toward faith. Um, that a heart not at peace can become rotten with cynicism. And, and cynicism is, is sort of this thing that they're able to, they're always the skeptic. Someone gives a, a praise of what God has done, and, and, and the, the cynic is the one in the background saying, yeah, but what about this? They're the ones that are able to bring out negative out of everything. Like somebody might say, I got a raise. And the cynic would say, now I got to pay more taxes. And you're like, for real? Like, I got a raise, dude. The, the, like, you might, you, might, you might say, I finally got a girlfriend. And the cynic would say, won't be long before she breaks your heart. And you're like, dude. Help me out here, you know? You might say, I love my church. And the cynic is in the background saying, that'll wear off. Yeah, I used to love it too, but now I just kind of go. I don't want to go through all the work of finding another church. See, if we, if we don't develop a praise habit, if we don't learn to pray with thanksgiving, the natural road is cynicism. One of the other potential outcomes that I thought about was, um, was anger. That if peace does not rule in our hearts, and if, and if peace is not guarding us, that, that it's very easy to become angry. It's very easy to become angry at God. It's very easy to become angry at others. And, and, and what happens in the way this plays itself out in our lives is that, that when bad things happen uh, or, or the circumstances around us uh, are, seem to be falling apart, we're always looking to lay the blame somewhere. And so if we, can't blame, if we can't lay the blame on any of you or what you've done or this is your fault, then, then we just become angry at God. It's his fault. And, and so the, the, the opposite effect of our heart, if we don't rejoice and if we don't pray with thanksgiving, is sort of this anger where if we did rejoice, we could have peace in our heart that would guard us against that anger. The other one is fear of what will come next, of what will happen. Because if we don't have a, this confident trust and assurance of who God is, but we find our circumstances running out of control, there is fear that enters my life because all of a sudden I'm not in control anymore. Where the peace of God says, I may not be in control but I rest in the assurance of the God who is. And I rest in the great confidence that I have in this God who loves me. So cynicism, anger, fear, and probably many other things is what this peace is guarding us against.